Hey there, and welcome to Bustin' Out of Breast Cancer, the show that has a straight talking about surviving and thriving breast cancer using the SMILE method. I am Shannon Burroughs, your host for the show. I'm a breast cancer survivor, woman's empowerment life coach, business strategist, and also a breast cancer recovery coach. I like to say I found my purpose at the intersection of passion and pain. As a fitness professional who specializes in cancer exercise, I became the person I couldn't find while navigating my own journey. I help women smile in the face of adversity, including breast cancer, to disengage from their limiting beliefs and start living their lifestyle by design to become the best version of themselves. On the show, we share survivor stories and talk about thriving in life, not just surviving. Welcome back to the show. This week's episode, we are talking to author, speaker, model, and eight-year breast cancer thriver, Christine Handy. Thank you so much for being here, Christine. Oh, so happy to share. Thank you. It is such an honor to have you here. Um, I have interviewed numerous people that listeners may laugh and hopefully they're on Clubhouse, but that I've met on Clubhouse. So I'm grateful yes. to have met you as well. And ironically, we happen to live very close to one another and we still have never met in person, which I think is really cool. But here we are and um, sharing another amazing Thriver story. Um, I really can't wait for you to share your story, um, your journey through breast cancer, as everyone has their own specific journey and yours has just been like unbelievable. So it's, I think it's really important that you can share that and get the word out and awareness. And um, anyway, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's definitely a story of hope um, and a lot of traumatic trials. That's for sure. So my story started when I was very young and um, I started modeling when I was 11 years old. And in that industry, my identity became very wrapped up into what I look like on the outside. So to date, I've modeled for 40 years. So you can imagine what kind of impact they had on me, that had on me in the industry. Now, I loved it, which is why I continue to do it today. Um, but it, it certainly does shift your perspective from getting to know yourself in those really formative years to just knowing yourself from the external. And so by the time I was diagnosed with cancer at 41, I had already had two major illnesses. And I mean, major illnesses. I almost died on the operating table when I had a colon resection at the age of 35. And if that wasn't uh, enough of a wake-up call for me to really try to figure out who I was inside, I was still very dependent on society's accolades and, and modeling and the external and how I presented myself to the world in this kind of perfect life, you know, the perfect husband and the perfect family and the perfect um, ex, you know, what I look like and carrying these bags and certain things in my life. And I was quite dependent on that. And so by the time I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was starting to figure out that although those things were very cool and it was fun to be the guest model and it was fun to work in the elite, you know, world in Barcelona and to work for elite worldwide, but what wasn't fun was not knowing myself and what was very empty and fleeting was depending on things that were not, you know, keeping me warm at night. Those were the temporary things. And so it took me a long time to figure out like what really mattered. And it was really my cancer diagnosis where, you know, doctor said to me, this is your chance of survival where I thought, what, what have I, what am I doing? Like, what is my, what has my, what in my life has mattered? Of course, my children um, and my family. But other than that, what have I done? And I don't mean the modeling accomplishments or the education. I mean, like, personally, what have I done? What is, where is my self-discovery, right? And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had to really look inside, which was really frightening for me because I just didn't know myself. 
it was so easy for so many years to put out this blind faith that everything was okay. Even though at night I would go to bed thinking, why do I feel so alone? And I had no idea. So it was that, you know, wake up call, that shocking wake up call that you have breast cancer and you're about to go through 28 rounds of chemotherapy. And, you know, at the time I didn't know how many surgeries, thank God, because I never would have signed up for that for sure. And it was during those, that 15 months of chemotherapy where people really showed up for me. And I thought to myself, why are they showing up for me? I'm losing my hair. I'm losing my value. I've completely lost what I was dependent on, which was the external. And so why do these people care about me? Why do they love me? And it turned out they loved who I was inside. They got to know me before I got to know me. And so it was in those alone moments during chemotherapy when I was too sick to leave my bed where I, I started to really figure out who I was. And it turned out that those things, and um, it turned out that there was new, no U-Haul behind the hearse. And I couldn't take the things and the, the accolades and the trophies, so to speak, and um, the guest modeling campaign and all those beautiful pictures. I couldn't take it with me. And so I, I really shifted and started to learn about myself. And what I found out was that I really wanted to serve other people and give other people hope. And how I was going to do that, I had no idea because I was in the middle of this cancer battle. And I didn't even know if the cancer, I would you know, get through the battle. There were many nights where I wasn't sure I would wake up the next morning, really, for real. And I had an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old kids. And so, and at that stage, I was barely able to take care of myself, much less my children. And, and of course, you know, that that's another self-esteem battle because you're like, wait, I was meant to take care of these children. And now they're completely dependent on other people, not their own mother. And so, you know, my self-esteem had taken so many hits over the years that, you know, my value really had to change or I wasn't going to make it. And so, you know, again, when I was going through chemotherapy, when I started to figure out who I was, my friends started to remind me that my story had value. And it wasn't about the modeling stories. It was this story and getting to know myself. And so after I finished my chemotherapy, I wrote a book about it because I wanted to model to the world what, you know, real darkness and vulnerability looks like. And also what it looks like to have friends that carry you through not one illness, but three and to show up for people after season after season and how you can really take that as a blessing in their life. Because they used to say to me, you know, if you're not going to fight for yourself and, and we are, if you quit on yourself, we won't. But in the process of quitting on yourself, you're not allowing us this gift of walking this through with you. And I couldn't understand that for the longest time. I was like, how is this a gift that you have to pick me up and take me to chemo and drive me to physical therapy and clean up my vomit and, you know, feed me in the bathtub? How is that a gift? And for them, that was the gift that they were able to share this journey with me and, and be able to model for me what showing up really looks like. So I wrote the book, which became successful because it's a very vulnerable share about what going through chemotherapy can really look like. And I, I've been able to share my story over social media and with um, speaking, public speaking, because only in our vulnerability and only through our storytelling can we really be empathetic and compassionate to each other because Without that, we put these very interesting lives on social media, 
but we don't want to paint a per perfect picture because then people don't relate to us. They don't understand. They, they may think that, oh yeah, she went through pain, but her life is perfect. It's not perfect. And I don't want, I don't want to paint a false narrative. You know, we're walking through this life together and it's an opportunity and it's a luxury, but it's also a choice. So that's kind of a shortened version of my story. And I'm sorry, I'm pretty long-winded. No, not at all. Um, it's interesting. So now you just take a different role as a model and you are modeling um, what yeah. it's like to know yourself. That's so right. Your, your whole career of being a model has shifted. You're still a model. You still do modeling, but you're, you have a different role and it's, and it's a bigger picture. You know, you talk about the different seasons and I feel like that, that was a very transformational season for you to be able to, I, I, I mean, I felt the same way when I was diagnosed at the age of 45, like I turned 45 in March, I was diagnosed in July and I was like, I turned 45 and I was like, Oh my God, I'm at the peak of my life right now. Right. And then I'm like, what is, what's the second half of my life going to be like? Right. Certainly was not anticipating a cancer diagnosis to start it off. <laughs> But That's it does, right. it absolutely changes you. And yeah. you do recognize who your, your tribe is, who your people are, who's going to show up, who's not going to show up. Um, right. And I found it interesting that they knew you inside, but right. you did not. Yeah. So that's a really, that's a really great gift. Yes. I mean. So that's, that's pretty neat. Um, what is the name of your book? So the listeners can hear what the name of your book is. Cause I it's think. Called, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's called Walk Beside Me by Christine Handy. And it's pretty much sold everywhere you can buy a book. <laughs> but tell the listeners what the book is about, because I think it's really neat how you, how you did this story. Thank you. Well, the book is a, a fictional depiction of my life. And the book starts with my cancer diagnosis, but then goes back to, you know, my life prior to cancer. And then it <laughs> quickly comes up to the cancer diagnosis and the women caring for me and, and, and what that looked like. But it's a, it's a novel. It's a story. It's a narrative. It's not a self-help book. But it's also, it's an important story for women because it's a, it models like what we should be to each other, right? I think so much in the media and on TV and on shows or movies, the world portrays women as very catty, catty and cutting each other apart and tearing each other up and not lifting each other forward. And my story and my journey was very different than that. And I wanted to show that that is actually what we should be doing. And the other thing is, is when you're going through trials like that, any trial, really, you're modeling to the world how to handle trials, right? And so regardless of whether I was going to get through cancer or not, what I was trying to show, not in the beginning, I, I, I changed, but what I was trying to show through that 15 months of chemotherapy was hope. And, and I wasn't, you know what, I wasn't a victim, right? Like I have no idea how or why I got breast cancer and it's not fair. It's never fair. But if we, if we model to the world that we're a victim, you know, that's what I was modeling to my kids, my friends, my community, all the people that were watching me go through it, then that's what they were going to learn from that. Right. But if I was modeling hope in a very terrible situation, then that could teach them. That was a teaching moment. So I really loved looking back and knowing that not only were my friends teaching me, I was able to teach as well at the same time. That is so impactful. And, and it's so exciting, but I want you, can you go a little bit deeper into what, how you wrote the book though? Because if I remember correctly, you actually had your friends give input, right? Yes. So when I was, well, I've never been trained as a writer. I'm actually going to Harvard right now, getting my master's degree in creative writing and literature. So technically I am now a trained writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm about halfway into my master's program. 
But at the time, I had never been formally taught how to write. I've always been, I've, I've had a love for writing my entire life. And I always believed that I could write a book and would write a book, but I, apparently I didn't have the story until I was diagnosed with cancer. You know, I got, I got the story. And so when I was, when I the decided- The light bulb went off, you're like, oh, got it. Okay, check, here yeah, we go, pen to paper. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I need to share this story. And so when I started to write the book, I hired an independent company and they went around to the 28 most important people in my life. One was my mother and my sister, and then all the rest were my friends. And they interviewed them and said, okay, give us your feedback on the situation and how it went through chemotherapy and the mastectomy. And, and they, so we took their transcripts and we put them as well into the story. So it was, it came from all different perspectives into one narrative. So it's, it's a, it's really is a beautiful story about love and friendship and, and, and really raw and very vulnerable about, about terrible, a terrible thing. You know, it wasn't just, it, it talks about my arm and what happened there. And that's a whole nother story. And, you know, there's parts of it that are about bullies and doctors and the medical field. And oh boy, uh, that's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> a whole nother podcast. podcast. I know. I think that's really neat. And you talked about hope and that is that is exactly it. And it's how you show up um, throughout your journey. You can play the victim or you can, you can either stand on your story or stand in your story. Right. And I love that we both and everyone that I bring onto the show is about standing on their story about how they came out thriving. You know, it is a choice. You can, you can choose to be the victim. You can choose to be stuck in your story, no matter what that story is, whether it's cancer, whether it's, you know, a bad marriage or abuse, whatever, but it's how you come out. And I think those are the lessons that are the most important that you can be able to share with the world. Because I feel like that, like my mission is changing the world one smile at a time. And that's yeah. simply, simply making individual lifestyle enhancements. And I feel like if every little thing that you can share, those adversities that you can share with the world can help even one person. Yes. And we, that's, we need to do that. Like, I feel like that's why we're here is to help others. Well, and we can meditate on anything, right? I can meditate on the chemotherapy that I went through and, and all that it's done, even currently to my life. Um, like I shared with you, I have heart issues from chemotherapy. I've had I've liver issues. I lost three teeth. There's a lot of after effects of chemotherapy that I continue to go through. And I can meditate on that. I can meditate on the pain in my arm because I have chronic pain, but I choose not to meditate on those things. I choose to meditate on the positivity. I choose to meditate on the the positions in my life where I'm helping other people, but we can get so trapped in what we're in our thoughts, right? Although I'll be a negative or positive and it's a choice. And I continue to go back to that narrative because choosing is, is one of the greatest assets we have. Mm-hmm. You know, we can choose how we focus on what we focus on. We can also choose how we walk through our life. And we've both decided to walk through our life, helping other people. And that, that is not an easy thing to do. For me, it's all encompassing. I mean, I have several jobs. I, I am on the board of two nonprofits and they both involve serving. Um, I also am a breast cancer advocate for different organizations and an ambassador for different organizations. And of course, I talk about my book and I'm a motivational speaker. So from dusk until dawn, you know, my life is, um, all of areas of my life are focused on inspiring and helping other people. And that's a choice that I made. It's not always an easy choice, um, but we have, you know, we, we choose, we get that choice. I know. I love that. We get that choice. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And when you think about the fact that that is the one thing you wake up every day 
the first thing you get to do is choose. How are you gonna show up today? How are you gonna show up in the world for yourself, for others, for strangers, you know, whoever you're gonna inspire. Um, you mentioned that your, your kids were 11 and 13 when you were diagnosed. My daughter was nine. Wow. I actually just, I actually just asked her the other day, I was like, would you be a guest of my podcast and like share from, um, you know, a, a, a child's point of view of, you know, what it was like to go through, you know, hearing your mom has breast cancer and then going through that. She was like, no, I was like, uh, why? I was like, why wouldn't, wouldn't you want to help like another child, like get through that? Yeah. She's like, I don't want to be on a podcast. I was like, okay. But she's very much like my husband, like very like behind the scenes, like don't want right. to talk. He won't even be on my podcast either. I'm like, I'm trying to like help people like from different angles, kids, spouses, whatever. Right. Anyway, this is our job to do, Christine. I get that. <laughs> exactly. So if you don't mind and you don't have to, it's fine. What was that like? Um, and I don't remember what your diagnosis was. What would, what stage were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, two level three. So it was a very aggressive form. My, one of my older son was in boarding school and my younger son was at home. And it was, it was an interesting reaction to, from both. When you are faced, I'm learning this, but when you're faced with extreme pain or confusion, what typically happens, especially with kids, is it turns into anger. You want to push that person away because you're, you're afraid that they're going to die. My kids were afraid I was going to die. And so instead of, and, and girls are different, but particularly with boys, from a psychological perspective, they wanted to keep me far away from them. And I'll give you one example. I lost my hair and I depended on wigs because my kids wanted me to look like their mom, even though I was 90 pounds and, you know, very sickly and always, you know, usually in bed. Um, they still wanted, if they came into my room, they wanted to see the blonde hair. So I had blonde wigs, a lot of blonde wigs. And one day I decided that I was going to go, well, somebody bought me a, a brunette wig and it was kind of a short bob and I never had brown hair and I never had a, a bob. And I was really excited about it. And How I fun. <laughs> and I put makeup on and I put clothes on that day versus like just lounge loungewear. And my son came home from school and I was really excited for him to see me. And he literally walked, he was 11. So he was shorter than me. Now he towers over me, but he walked over and he grabbed my wig. I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And he threw it across the room because he didn't see his mom and he wanted, he needed to see his mom. And so that was it. I gave the wig away and I always wore blonde wigs. Um, and who knows, like they're 20 and 22, you know, who knows what the side effects are now. I hope what they're learning from me now is empathy and compassion, right? Those are superpowers. If men have empathy and compassion, oh yeah, they can do anything. Yep. And so I hope that that's part of what they learned, but they still, you know, they learn to be a little bit distant and, and that's been a process that we've had to go through. It could be because, yeah, I mean, they were, yeah. Cause I've had a lot of issues since chemotherapy, you know, last summer, I don't know if you know this about my story, but last summer, well, when COVID started March of 2020, I, well, let me go back a little bit. I had the implants. I had implants after a mastectomy and I loved them. I thought that was kind of the prize. You know, I mean, I hate to be so, I don't know, vulgar about it, but I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to lose my breasts, I want these really pretty implants. I didn't go bigger. I'm a, I was always an A cup and I went A, but I loved them. Like they didn't move, you know, they stayed yeah. right here on my chest. They didn't go to your armpits when you laid down. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. I, I mean, I live in Miami. I was in bathing suits. I was just rocking, you know, the beach. And, 
And so in 2018, my surgical oncologist called me and said, you know, your implants have been recalled. And I thought, oh, got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> another surgery. At that point, I'd had like 19. And so between, wow. yeah, between my colon, my arm and breast cancer, I had 19 non-elective surgeries in 2018. The, all of those in 2018? No, but I mean, up oh, to 2018. Okay. No, because I've had four since then. So, so that was like, it's for somebody to call me and say, okay, now you have to, I didn't have to get the implants removed, but when somebody tells you there's a possibility that the implants that are in your body could cause a different form of breast cancer, what are you going to do for me? No, thank you. I was like, okay, we have to take these out. So in the swap out surgery, um, in 2019, it was in December and I developed a little bit of an infection. And we, tr- the doctor treated it. And for a couple months I was on antibiotics. I was on IV antibiotics and then I was on oral antibiotics, but then it went away. So fast forward to March of 2020, I've got new implants They're They haven't been recalled from the FDA. I'm healthy. I'm strong. At least I think, and I go for a walk and my father was in town and we sat and had lunch. And, and during lunch, I felt this like itch in my left breast. And I just ignored it. I thought, well, my sports bra is wet. You know, there's nothing wrong, I'm sure. And a couple hours later, it felt like I had bees stinging my chest. So I go in my closet and I'm just super annoyed that I have to take time out of my busy day to go change for my sports bra. And I lift up my shirt and my left breast was like the brightest red, delicious apple red you've ever seen, just localized on that breast. But the whole breast, the entire skin on that breast was this bright red. And so I sent a picture to my oncologist and to the surgeon who had transferred the other implants out. And they immediately, both of them within 30 seconds, one was calling me and the other was on the other line. And they said, basically, no, this is March of 2020 when there was nobody in the hospital, mm-hmm. other than people who had COVID. So they said to me, you got to get to the hospital. Don't stop at red lights, get there as soon as possible. Oh, so, I, so I go out and I tell my dad, I'm on my way to the emergency room. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I go, I have no idea. Um, I'm not going to show you this, but I, I, something's wrong. So I go into the hospital. They admit me immediately. I ended up staying, staying for five days. Now, wow. There were only three people on the seventh floor at Mercy Hospital in Miami of March of 2020. And the only reason I know that there were only three patients was because each morning that I woke up, I walked around the halls and I knocked on everybody's door that was there to try to help them because I knew that they were alone. And I knew that they couldn't have been feeling good. If you were in the hospital in March of 2020, you were sick. Mm-hmm. And so I was in for five days. They sent me home with a pick line, which is IV antibiotics for two more weeks. And they, I go back for my checkup and they say, I'm, I'm fine. Great. And it's just like a little ripple in the road. And I think, okay, well I can handle this. I've been through so much already. One month later, April of 2020, I go for a walk. Same thing. My dad's not in town, but I sit down and have lunch. And I feel this like little weirdness going on in my left breast. And it, uh, two hours later, I go in my closet and sure enough, the same exact thing had happened. It was swollen red, but this time the redness was traveling up my neck. Again, I send pictures to my oncologist and my surgeon. They both call me. Honestly, it's like, I thought I was in the twilight zone. Yeah. I, but this is now later in the day. So I end up going, I go back to the hospital, same hospital. I have the same surgeon. I have the same infectious disease doctor. They give me different medication. 
I'm in the hospital now five more days. You're like, I don't have time for this. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I was in the hospital. I had a project that I had to do in front of my entire class of Harvard. I did it from the hospital bed in a hospital gown. And I also did a speech from the hospital bed. And so, and somebody asked me why, like, why did you, why didn't you just say, no, I'm sick. I'm in the hospital. And I said, because people need to see people surviving and thriving and continuing to go even after trauma, after trauma, even though it wasn't comfortable for me, right? I've got an IV in my arm. I'm sick. And here I am like on a state, literally on a virtual stage, trying to give a speech from a hospital bed. I've got nurses coming and going, coming in to check my blood pressure. And I'm just saying to the audience, I'm like, just be patient. And and I did it and it was fine. And people were, you know, really excited that I did it because it did show persistence, determination, grit and grace, and all those things that I try to show people anyway. And you didn't quit. I didn't and quit. And that was the thing. Yeah. It, and it would have been easy, right? Mm-hmm. I had an excuse. Um, so going, okay. So I get out of the hospital this time, they send me home with oral antibiotics. And I think I've won the lottery. Like I don't, I'm not leaving with an IV bag and literally one month later, it's now the beginning of June. Still, now everybody's really paranoid about being in the hospital. I have, <laughs> I'm going, literally walking to my shower. I'm not feeling well. I can tell I have a fever. I know it's not COVID, but there's something wrong and I can't figure out what it is. I go to take off my shirt and it's sticking to my chest. And I'm thinking to myself, why? I, I haven't worked out. I don't know what's going on, but why is it sticking to my chest? And I pull it off. And I look down and there is a hole in my breast. Whoa. With green pus oozing out of it. And I'm now, you know, now I know I've had a serious, there's something seriously wrong. So I text the same pictures to my oncologist and to my surgeon. And this time I don't answer my surgeon, I answer my oncologist. And she FaceTimed me. And the reason she FaceTimed me from her living room, because it was seven o'clock at night, was because she wanted to see my face. She wanted to see my eyes. She wanted to see what condition I was in because I didn't know at the time. But if I had not gone into the hospital that night, I would have died by the next morning. Holy cow. Because I had a Mer- that staph infection that I had in March and April had turned into a MRSA infection. And if it had gotten to my blood, it, it could have killed me. I don't know if it would have, but it could have killed me. So by the time I got to the hospital, it was eight o'clock at night on a Monday night. I couldn't lift up my head. And I'm trying to get to the door of the hospital by myself because you can't have anybody with you. Mm -hmm. And I'm staggering, like feeling like I'm going to pass out. And there's a woman in a hazmat suit. Again, it's June of 2020. And she's asking me these COVID questions. Do you have a, do you have a fever? Yes. Do you have whatever these symptoms are? And it was like, yes, to every single one of them, because I had a massive infection that was almost, you know, put me in over your body. It was horrible. So by the time I got in, they put me into this room to get COVID tested first. In the meantime, this MERS infection is taking over. By the time they had come to get me to go into an emergency surgery, I literally couldn't lift my head from the pillow. And a doctor came over and he put, a surgeon came over and he put um, like a little scope into the hole that was in my breast cavity. And he stuck, and I didn't even know he was next to my bed because I can't even lift my head up. I'm so sick. My fever's taken over. And I, all of a sudden I can feel this thing go right into my implant. And I basically, I try, I mean, my body like jerks off the table, off the bed because he, the probe went right through my, my skin was open. It was a hole. 
and the MRSA infection had eaten a hole from the implant, which was the source of the infection, through my skin, all the way through. So when he put that probe in, it went all the way to the implant. Oh. So on that Monday night, I go into emergency surgery. I have no idea what's going to happen. Literally no idea. All I know is I've had breast cancer. I've had these beautiful implants that I love. And now I'm wheeling, getting wheeled back into the surgery by myself. Not a clue as to what's going to happen. And I wake up in the recovery room and my entire chest has been excavated. No breast cavity, very little skin and like hundreds of stitches. And, and that was it. Like there was no way for reconstruction because the skin had been eaten away from the MRSA infection and there was no possibility of an implant. And I'm in the hospital by myself. Now I hadn't even my phone because you can't have your phone in the recovery room. And I feel like I feel down and I'm going, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Like everybody said it was fine in March. Then they said it was fine in April. What just happened? And what ultimately happened was when you get a staph infection in an implant, you have to take that implant out because it's been affected, infected. And what happened was because of COVID and because the doctors were, and, and this particular, it's not that my doctor's fault, but the, every, the whole world was focused on COVID. They were just trying to get me in and out of the hospital. And, and, the, and the redness had gone away and the swelling had gone away. So from their perspective, it was gone. But by the second time I went in the hospital, that was a major red flag. Like, hello, there's something foreign in your body. It's plastic. There is an infection, localized infection in there. You got to take out the plastic. But guess what? I'm not a doctor. I don't know this. So by the time I had checked into the University of Miami Hospital, which is where I went the third time, the surgeons had, after the surgery, because I don't remember anything before the surgery, said to me, it's like, it's simple known. If there's an infection with a breast, with a breast implant, you have to take the implant out. Again, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so that almost cost my life. And so, yeah, so breast cancer, it, it, although it happened eight years ago, there are some things that keep lingering, which is exactly what we're talking about. That persistence, that grit, that grace, mm -hmm. that determination that you've got to keep going. If you don't, it's, it's easy to quit. I could have quit last summer, you know, cause I look like a different person right now. I have no breast cavity. I have no, I'm, I'm have an inverted cavity, <laughs> which is very different than an aesthetic closure, which is very flat. I, I have, I'm concave because of what happened to me. But you're still beautiful on the outside and the inside. And I can't, like, I didn't realize all of that was that recent. I thought that, that was prior happened. to that. That's, in, that's insane. And it's almost like, screw you COVID because if it wasn't for COVID, maybe they would have gotten to the root of the problem immediately, but who knows, you know, because the, like knows? you said, like everyone was, you know, so focused on COVID and, you know, yeah. the symptoms of COVID and whatnot. But right. so for you to be concave now right, and being a model, yes, I feel like inside, like I get a warm feeling and excited awesome. feeling because I feel like that is awesome. It, it brings it full circle. And it's almost like, like, I, I like to say to breast cancer, thank you, breast cancer. Thank you right. for, for providing my purpose in life to be able to yeah. empower other women, to be their own advocate, to, you know, realize that early detection saves lives and to be your own advocate with your right. medical team and everything. Right. But, 
but I, in listening to you, it's like breast cancer's purpose for you, gift to you, right. Was to show you how beautiful you are on the inside. This was who you were, right. All your friends already knew this. You had unfortunate circumstances, you know, that, that came about with it. Yeah. But your breasts don't define you. You and I both know that, but you had to go through all of this crap to find that out, which is unfortunate and it sucks, but right. You came out even stronger and on a mission to change the world and to, you know, help other women and give hope as well. And I feel like that's just such a great gift in itself. You know, yes, breast cancer sucks. I'm not saying that breast cancer is a gift, but we do get gifts out of that and you still continue to model, but you do it in a different grace. I do. Uh, Yeah. I I'm actually planning on, and I'm knocking on the door of sports illustrated because I have had, because I have a social media presence and I flaunt what I look like. I don't, I don't cover it up. I don't wear prosthetics and, and no. And by the way, it's a personal decision. Correct. People that wear prosthetics, it's their decision. And there's, there should be no judgment from anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And including that I flaunt this without, you know, people judging me. And I wore, as you know, I wear very tight fitted clothes and, and it doesn't bother me to show this. This is who I am. This is how God made me. And I may not like what I went through, but this is what I look like. Mm-hmm. And if I don't accept that. Why would I expect anybody else to accept that? So having shown the world that this is how I feel about it, I've had thousands of messages from women saying, please keep going, please keep sharing, please keep showing us how to do this. Because I'll give you an example of this one woman's one woman said, I don't even wear, I don't, I, I wear a sports bra and a prosthetic to bed with my husband. I don't walk out of my house without this. I've had thousands of messages of people afraid, ashamed, unable to walk out and do what I do. Mm. So what I'm trying to do now is knock on the door of uh, Sports Illustrated and say, listen, I've been a model for 40 years. I can be on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a bikini or an ace bandage to show that not only is this acceptable, this is outrageously beautiful. And women don't need to be put in a box if this is what we have to look like, because none of us look the same and we weren't, we weren't made to look the same. And I'm not planning on keeping myself in a box. And as my journey shifts and as my physical limitations grow or change, I'm going to be the best version of that for myself and for other people. And so don't define us in a box. I want to show different ways where women like me can buy bathing suits, which I've, we talked about. And also that, listen, if I have to be the voice to show courage, I'm willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to do. And I love that. I love everything about that. And I, I, again, back to your, our breasts don't define us. So when I say to my daughter, I've had, and I discuss this on another podcast interview as well, but I always like to use the analogy of why don't you just close your eyes? If you close your eyes and you pretended like you were blind and you couldn't see the person and you had a conversation with them or you, you saw, you know, acts of service, whatever that was done. Like if you don't have vision, you can't judge. So if everyone was to close their eyes and not, you know what I mean? Like not think about, Oh, I know she has breasts or doesn't have breasts. Like sometimes we just need to step back and be like, why, like, why, why do you need to judge them on whether or not they have breasts or whatever their decisions were? It's their life. You know, I think that's incredible value you're giving to your daughter. I don't think most people teach their children that 
No. So you getting your story out there and talking about this, the more and more you can do that will shift other people and change other lives. And maybe somebody will hear, not maybe, somebody will hear this and they will teach their daughters that. That's how we change, right? Yep. That's, that's storytelling. That's why we're, that's why we do this. Yes. Speaking of bathing suits and sports illustrated, I want to go ahead and talk about, and you reveal as much as you want to, or, or don't, but you are now being an advocate for women who have made a choice to go flat and not be, you know, go through reconstruction. And you are now working on a swimsuit line, correct? Yes. So about seven months after my uh, surgery and the implants were excavated. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't want your listeners to think that it was an easy process. No, I just woke up and was like, Oh, this is good. No, that's not, that's not true. It took me a couple months to go into my closet and start putting on the clothes that I loved and adored with the low V neck and the, and the, the strapless and all those things that I had to give away. That was really hard for me. Um, because that was like facing it, right? Like if I go in my closet and have to try all these beautiful dresses on, um, I have to face it and I didn't want to face it. So about seven months after I woke up one morning and I was like, I have to do something for these women. Cause again, I'm the one that gets the DMS of these women saying to me, I'm afraid I'm ashamed. I don't know what to do. Please give me your courage, all these other things. And so I think to myself, I have, I'm in a position where I can help people. So I, I went into my ACE bandage drawer. Cause I have a lot of them. And I started playing around with this ACE bandage and I configured a, t- a bathing suit top that I think would work for other women and myself. And so then I went to MJ designs and Michael's and I bought ribbon and did the same thing. And so I reached out to this company in Miami called Panera Couture, who's a, a high-end bathing suit line. And I asked the CEO if I could meet with her. Now, the first thought I had when I was about to call her was, what if she rejects me? What if she, what if she doesn't want to, you know, collaborate with me? What if all these what ifs, right? That was my old, you know, five, 10 years ago voice saying, no, don't put yourself out there because it's scary. And no, you should, I don't want you to feel rejected. You know, that's too much for you, you know, talking to myself. And I thought, no, I'm not going back into that space. I'm not going back into that self-rejection. I'm not going back into that fear. I'm going to go with the faith part, which is how I live my life now. And so I stopped those negative um, thoughts and I called her, I picked up the phone, I called her and she took the meeting and I met with her and I brought the ACE bandage and I brought the Michaels and ribbons and I showed her what I was talking about. And she was like, this is unbelievable. And by the way, it's a market that nobody's doing. So there's Mm -hmm. a space, there's a space for it. And so she and I collaborated and she um, is in Italy right now, actually picking out fabrics for her whole line, not just for this. And we are making bathing suits for women who are flat or concave or who've, you know, chosen to go aesthetically flat because we need these options and there are none. You know, if you go, if if you're in my position and you go to a bathing suit store and you get a very, um, a roughly or kind of a, you know, smaller bathing suit top, they have padding in it. And when you go in the water, that padding gets inverted and it looks funny and it's, it doesn't work that well. So I wanted an option for myself and for other people so that they could feel comfortable in a bathing suit. So that's I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's so exciting. So when do you think the line will be out? I think it'll be out in December. Actually, Forbes did an article about it. So if you look, if you go to Forbes and you Google Christine Handy Picnera Couture, you'll, you can read the whole article. Um, 
but you know what with and I guess the best lesson lesson of all is even with the darkest tragedy right like I don't want to be inverted I don't want to look concave you can always find a way to help others absolutely absolutely but we have to be we have to have the courage to do that and it's not easy like it's not easy to put yourself out there but if you have the ability or you have the courage to do it or if you have other women that are pushing you forward Mm -hmm. and applauding you that's your courage net and the more people that help you along the way to say you know what you're worthy you're you're capable then the more we feel worthy and capable and that's what we have to do for each other that's why i love being a woman's empowerment life coach because i truly do love helping women disengage from those limiting beliefs because i feel like society has taught us to just be quiet, to just sit back. Like, this is not our world where I'm like, get out of my way. Here I come. <laughs> and, and it's, I don't, and it's think, I don't think society, I don't think society is as united as they claim to say, I think right. society would prefer us to be divisive. Right. And there, it takes women like us and there's many, many, many women doing this. Yep. But to stand up and say, no, dividing is not healthy and it's not, and and comparing is not healthy. And so to go away from that kind of perspective is what I think is helping other women. Absolutely. And and sometimes people don't have the tools and resources to be able to get through their their trials or adversities, whatever that is. And if you can figure out that way to get through yours and you know, sharing that can help someone else, like that's, it's so incredibly powerful. It's so powerful. And I love that. And that's why I I love doing this podcast because I love being able to have a platform for other women to share their journey, to share their story. And, you know, maybe they've never, I've, there's been plenty of interviews I've done on the podcast. People are like, even including my plastic surgeon, I interviewed, he's like, I've never done a podcast before. I was like, yes, I'm your first. Awesome. You know, like it makes me feel good that I've opened up a door for someone to be able to share their awesomeness, you know, their, their story and their journey, because even if one person yeah. is changed or helped, that makes my heart full. That makes me happy. Yeah. Good for so, you. I'm super grateful that you are um, available and, and happy to share your story with my listeners as well. And I didn't know all, I didn't know the date specifically about, you know, your MRSA and stuff. Like I did know what you went through, but, right. and I love that you're doing your, your swimwear line. In Thank fact, you. the only, the only other place I've ever seen, I didn't know anything about the concave swimwear, but yeah. there was one time I was shopping, I was in Kohl's and they had a mastectomy swimmer line. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. I took a picture of it. I was like, no way. That's amazing. Because it is frustrating, even though we get these implants and yes, they, you know, they may look beautiful. They're obnoxious because yeah. for me, I just feel like they're just hard balls on my chest. You know, like they're not, it's not like, I don't, it's not the same as if you were just to go get, you know, augmentation. Yes, of course. Yeah. Cause you, you know, don't have tissue. You have no tissue. Right. So like, for me, it's just like, they're just there. And my plastic surgeon says, you know, you should always be wearing underwire, the stuff, blah, 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 you know, especially the first two years. So it's like, you're limited to the bathing suits you can get. And right. I'm, I don't, my scars don't bother me. I could care less about my scars. I will show my, my chest through my journey, everything scars right. don't phase me. So I don't, I don't try to find a bathing suit. That's going to hide my scars per se. Right. I just want one that's going to like sit on my chest properly. <laughs> right. So I think that's awesome that you're taking it to this level to be able to help women that are flat or concave, um, because it is a much needed, much yeah. needed. Um, yes, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. So very exciting. I can't wait for that to come out. Um, we'll have to have you back on again after you do that. So we can let those just know where you launched it and all of that good stuff. 
What else would you like to share with the listeners that you took away from your cancer journey that is so important that you think a listener needs to hear right now? Um, I think it's a really important lesson to know that we can be pushed to the very edge of who we are. And in that, we can really find out who we are, right? And so for me, I don't really, it wasn't very comfortable to be pushed to the edge and multiple times. But by that happening, I really figured, I got to figure out who I was. And it's not that I didn't like the older version of me. I do. And I love, and I miss that older version of me, that innocence that I had really. And, but I don't miss the emptiness. I don't miss the loneliness. And that space that I feel now was serving and inspiring other people, that makes me feel joy. That previous life that I had, um, basing my life on society's accolades and bags and, and things that you can take with you, that I was very happy, but I never felt real joy. And so I think for me, that's the biggest difference in my life. I feel joy now versus happiness. And that there is a difference, joy and happiness. And it's funny, you, you talked about things, not funny, but um, my parents got divorced. And there, if there's one thing my dad always, always says, and my dad is super successful, um, but he, you know, you talk about like the divorce and like the house and the boats and this, he's like, they're just things. Yeah. They're just things. Mm-mm. Like things don't matter. It's who you are, who the people you are that you surround yourself with. And, and those are very valuable. And I, de- I definitely, you know, pass that on to my daughter. So I don't get too caught up in the things per se. Yes, they're nice, but again, yeah. happiness, joy, happiness, joy, right? Right. Yeah. Temporary, you know, temporary happiness too. Right. Exactly. Fleeting. Fleeting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, where would be the best place for someone um, to reach you if they wanted to reach out and ask for some help or support? Well, I love my website and I don't okay. re- really ever promote it. It's christinehandy.com, but I'm most active on Instagram. I'm okay. being more active on Pinterest, but if you want to message me, it's christinehandy1 on, on, in actually both on Pinterest and on Instagram and on Facebook. It's, I have two Facebooks walk beside me, which is the name of my book or Christine handy. I'm very accessible. If you send me a message, I definitely will reply, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm just writing that down. Cause I'm going to put, make sure I put the links in the show notes. Perfect. So christinehandy.com, go check it out. It's a good website. Um, there's a lot of interviews that I've done that are on there. So, and YouTube I'm, I'm all over. I'm, I'm everywhere. You're everywhere. <laughs> Basically yeah. just put your name in and go for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for being accessible to the listeners and anybody out there and continuing to inspire and empower other women and give hope and faith to others going through this, this journey as well. I think it's super important that we continue to do that and get that message across that we are meant for bigger and greater things. And we are meant to serve and help other as others as well go through theirs. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this week's episode has somehow changed your life with a smile. If you're looking for guidance through your breast cancer journey or looking to create your lifestyle by design and you don't know where to start, head on over to shannonbros.com and let's chat. Until next week, live well, laugh often, and love much.